This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Wednesday, the 27th of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, there's a lot of talk about creative industries and government policy for creative industries. And in fact, Australia invented the term but we're one of the only OECD nations that doesn't have a national creative industries or arts policy. It's a big part of the economy, but often seems a bit neglected. We talked to Justin O'Connor from the University of South Australia about creative industries and how to make them a more integrated and supported part of the economy. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with a COVID-19 update for Wednesday the 27th of May. A 30-year-old Queensland man has died from COVID-19, bringing the state's total to seven and the national total to 103. The man was found dead in his home and a post-mortem revealed he was infected with COVID-19. The coroner will begin an investigation into whether the death was caused by COVID-19, but for now the Queensland government says they will treat it as a COVID-19 death. Prime Minister Scott Morrison is refusing to guarantee workers won't be negatively impacted by his proposed overhaul to industrial relations. He announced Industrial Relations Minister Christian Porter will lead the process, bringing unions together with employer groups and businesses to try change the current system. This comes as the Prime Minister continues to dismiss calls to keep job seeker payments at the increased amount after September and to expand JobKeeper to include more businesses and employees. The World Health Organization is warning COVID-19 is still gaining speed as it spreads globally, taking specific aim at Brazil as that country looks to ease restrictions despite being a hotspot for the disease. The top health expert at the organization, Dr. Mike Ryan, says the world is still in the middle of the first wave of infections, so talk of economic recovery is premature. Globally, nearly 5.5 million people have been infected and over 346,000 have died. Though experts say these numbers likely understate the true tally due to counting issues in many countries. The most populous state in the United States, California, is continuing to reopen as the nation's death toll steadily approaches 100,000. Governor Gavin Newsom says the state is flattening the curve. Church services and in-store retail shopping have started up again in 47 of the state's 53 counties, though Los Angeles and San Francisco remain in lockdown. California is not alone in easing its restrictions. Many states across the US are beginning to lift lockdowns, even though the spread of COVID-19 in the country is still uncontrolled. Wall Street stocks are surging in response to lifting business shutdowns in the United States as optimism over economic recovery takes hold. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who heads the state with the largest death toll, rang the bell to start trading on the New York Stock Exchange. New York's most recently reported one-day death toll was 73, the lowest figure in months. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews has announced a three-month extension to the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. The extension comes as COVID-19 cases continue to grow daily in the state, forcing the Royal Commission to be delayed until February 2021. 
Premier Andrews says the mental health system in the state is broken and the only way to fix it is to ensure all the voices of those impacted by it are heard. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We've heard the term creative industries used a lot, and it was actually coined in Australia during the Paul Keating years. But now, Australia is one of the only countries of the OECD to not have a national creative industry policy. Why is that? What are the creative industries? It's a broad term that people haven't defined. And why are these industries important? I spoke with expert Justin O'Connor from University of South Australia about the issue. What does Australia need to do to get its creative industries back on track? And have well, they ever been on track? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a big question. Uh, it's it's very strange that the idea of creative industries is seen to have come from Australia in the, in originally uh, with out of Paul Keating's Creative Nation, which um, he did in 1994. Um, but it, it was really taken up by the UK government. And although there's been there's been a lot of uh, work done mostly in queensland around creative industries in australia it's never really grabbed the attention of government uh, and it's it's kind of interesting why that might be um i think in the uk it came out of it, it was came out of a broad let's say cultural coalition it it was a way of getting more money out of government you know hey we're in economic sector hey we're the innovation we're the future all those kind of things and it kind of got a broad buy-in uh, but in Australia, the way in which it uh, was launched in the, in the early 2000s was very much, um, oh, the arts are finished. It's all about commerce, commerce and creativity and the digital. And uh, so we don't need public subsidy. This is all about innovation systems. So it was much more antagonistic in, in the way it was launched. So it's never really got a broad kind of cultural sector buy-in people kind of scratch their heads about it and think, hmm, am I a creative industries or am I an artist or am I a musician or what, whatever. So it, it, there's that end of it. But also uh, we've had, um, we've had a, a series of governments, obviously since the mid-90s with Howard, uh, that weren't really interested in it. And even the Labour government, once uh, Gillard kind of uh, got in, kind of they got their creative australia policy up and then ditched it six months later kind of to do with internal politicking as normal so um so it's a really strange scenario in australia and, and i would say that that australia is the the least developed creative industry policy in all the oecd nations it's way way behind china korea even singapore you go to singapore these days they're, they're way more kind of supportive of these kind of things than than Australia is. And it's quite bizarre in many respects. That's kind of surprising. Um, what what does the support look like in another country? Like, let's say Singapore. I mean, that's, that's well, an island of five million people not too far away. Yeah. Well, that, they went to, to it in terms of, uh, well, two strands. First of all, uh, you know, art and culture are, you know, the way forward to... Uh, not just attract tourists, but to attract uh, skilled personnel, but also they see it as, you know, part of what, you know, an advanced nation should be is to have an advanced art culture sector. But they also see 
see it as having economic payoffs. You know, it's got links to innovation and in terms of around digital uh, d- digital technologies and consumer services that these these parts of the sector uh, are driving a certain amount of economic growth, and so they promote that as well. And so, it, and it's it's kind of similar across Asia, really. I mean, Korea, South Korea has really pushed this very successfully um, in terms of an industry strategy. I mean, their uh, their music industry stra- strategy is basically, uh, you know. P- to, you know, adapted from the car industry almost. You know, it's like uh, massive, you know, bring the K-pop bands through, market them, all those kind of things. So it's very much an industrial strategy. But it, places like Indonesia, Malaysia, all those kind of places are really beginning to say, well, you know, should, maybe we should start actively promoting these new kind of activities, really. Um, and Australia's stuck, stuck, I'm afraid, in an extractivist mindset, uh, that's at the federal level, I should say. Um, here, you know, uh, Victoria, um, state of Victoria, has been very kind of uh, well. It's at the forefront of developing the arts and culture and creative industries uh, over the last few years, but uh, the federal level has been pretty much absent. Um, I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but could you define what? creative industries are say from the australian point of view well it's in terms of a list of what's in them it's usually it's it's quite it's quite tricky really but i would say in terms of in in terms of europe the uk australia it's it's mainly the art the performing arts book publishing tv and film uh, screen in terms of games but a, a screen media, let's call it. Um, it does include advertising and architecture, ma- marketing services. Um, that's sometimes kind of separated off into creative sector, and some people do that. But from, but it, it's basically the, the arts and cultural sector, including um, design, architecture, fashion, those kind of things. That's the kind of broad definition of it. Um, but it's a bit tricky because many countries say, oh, well, we're, the, the arts and culture are one thing, which is, you know, film and TV and computer games, but creative industries, which might be fashion, uh, which might be R&D. In some, some cases in Singapore, they were using biotech as, as creative. Uh, that's, that's, all, that's also included. The biggest sticking point is that uh, the UK government put software development in there. Um, and that inflated the employment figures by 40%. You know, it's a huge amount. So when you hear all these big figures about fast-growing industries, you know, you can take 40% out and say that's software development. Um, and, I, you know, so it's a, it's actually a very confused definition. People can't quite, never have not entirely pinned it down that much. Yeah. What sort of support is the arts industry or the creative industries uh, receiving in Australia at the moment, and how does that compare with overseas? Um, well, pre-virus, if you'd like, um, the 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 long-term trend of federal funding for arts and culture has gone down, uh, and that's a that's that's re- directly against the trend in most other OECD countries. So. Uh, arts funding, funding for culture, funding for public broadcasting like the ABC and SBS has been going significantly downwards. At state level, 
uh, and at other community levels it's been going upwards uh, so that's one interesting kind of divergence but it, it's the spending overall on on arts and culture in in uh, in australia is way below a kind of comparable national average um so that but also as i said uh, before the the kind of uh, signals you know the kind of support that the government gives gives it whether it's verbal or not but policy support is really lacking in uh, in australia compared to even places you know i'd say you know, uh, in asia pacific places you know indonesia malaysia south korea china of course um but it's certainly compared to other other countries so you go to you go to europe you go to uk and there's a lot of um there's a lot of policy support put into it and a, a whole range of you know reports and and funding schemes in different ways some of it's focused on culture some on its economic benefits whatever but there, there's a real absence of that in um, in in australia and it's and it's getting worse and uh, and that's something that uh, that's been a bit of a conundrum for for researchers in this sector mm. How many people work in the the creative industries in Australia? Um, it's uh, again, it's something to do with the uh, definitions. It's uh, I think it's I think our last count was something like uh, around three hundred fifty thousand in terms of in terms of our arts uh, cultural occupations. Uh, something similar, uh, something uh, similar in terms of creative industries. I foolishly have not got my reports in front of me, so I can't give you those things. Um, but it's that it's at that kind of level. Um, and we we did it in our report. We did it by we we went into the statistics themselves, into the four and six digit categories of the census, and identified what what we considered a cultural occupation is. And we the the Australia institute did a report just recently using kind of similar definitions so we're on those lines and the key thing is that um, um cultural occupations are those who declare themselves having a cultural their, their main source of income is culture uh, a cultural occupation They're, that's uh, growing slightly across australia over the last 15 years um Cultural creative industries, which are, includes people who might be an accountant or a cleaner in a theatre, so anybody who's employed in some way with a, a cultural sector or creative sector, uh, that's declined, um, and that's mainly to do with printing and and the kind of physical products around books and retail and distribution. So we've got a we've got a kind of an increasing number of people involved in culture, um, but a declining number of those in creative industries. We'll have more from Justin O'Connor from University of South Australia after this. You want a boy toy, I could be yours. Do you remember what you did? You want a real doll, I can be yours. Brought me back from the dead. Did I build a king? Did I build a king? Did I break something?
This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And that was the song Frankenstein's Dream from the Perth-based group Alter Boy, that's A-L-T-E-R, Auslan Interpretation. And we're returning to our interview with Justin O'Connor, and now we're talking about precarious employment. The employment in creative industries tends to be more precarious it can it's it's increasingly been so um i mean we, if you if you take the visual arts for instance that's it's a, uh, we, that's what um there's been a series of reports done mainly by david throsby um a well established australian uh, cultural economics um, expert and he's shown that the continuing decline of vi- especially visual artists wages over the last 20 25 years but there's been what what our what our census figures showed that if you like the third largest industry, so everybody says, what industry are you in? The third largest industry, uh, growth industry after design and after architecture is basically freelance cultural, uh, cultural professionals. So what we, what we're seeing is a kind of a slow growth in employment, but it's getting more and more about freelance and and, uh, small business, uh, casual employment, um, you know, independent contractors, and that's kind of um, it's kind of par for the course across you know, across the you know global economy. But uh, casual work and uh, has is very very high in Australia. You know, self employment is very very high in Australia. But what we what we're seeing in the cultural sector is really high. And what um, what happened with the job keeper and job seeker as well but what happened with the job keeper was that it completely missed huge areas of the cultural sector who are doing they're in full-time employment but not one year at a time they're doing three months a year five months there two months a year or doing multiple jobs so um yeah it's uh it's uh it, it what we're what we're seeing is this kind of uh, growth in precarious employment and that's a that's a again it's a common thing across 
across the across the globe. It's there in Asia as well. It's there in China. And it there's a there's a weird conundrum around uh, creative industries in that people are more highly educated than the rest of the workforce, but earn less. Mm-hmm. Well, the um, the the myth was that um, at the in the 1990s was the creative industries were all about small startups. They didn't call them startups then too much, but start small and medium sized enterprises, micro enterprises, one, two, three people businesses, and that they would um, they would operate in these kind of loose networks and work in creative milieus in clusters and those kind of things. And and in fact, the, the you know the 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 vast majority of businesses in the creative industries are these small and micro enterprises. But in fact, the the they're actually dominated and organised by some very very large corporations. So what 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 we see is is actually some very powerful. It used to be national now it's transnational corporations who kind of organise the sector and they're surrounded by very you know a, a kind of a, a, a whole swarm of very small micro businesses now some of them make a good living uh, but increasingly they don't make a good living because they've no organization there's a endless supply of this labor uh, and basically the big organizations call the shots what can you tell me about the approach to someplace like china which had a really different system previously and now it's What's it like now? Well, they, they've, um, from around 98, 99, they really saw the, um, what they call the cultural industries, uh, which they, they saw as basically, you know, uh, media, communications, you know, emerging game industries, music a little bit, they weren't really too concerned about that. But certainly, the, let's say the big communication industries, media and communications, and of course, some of the big art, you know, the high-end art kind of thing, they saw them as a as a as a potential um, growth sector, or that they should be part of what you know. If China was becoming a developed country, an advanced country, as they called it, then you need advanced culture to go with it. So they began to really rationalise the whole thing, and they all organised it in terms of big industry groups. They kind of applied their own. Uh, industry development strategy to culture and you know it was um it, it was a bit hit and miss sometimes there's lots of replication and duplication and things but uh, actually they've managed to get there um i mean they've got the huge captive audience i, I say captive in the non pejorative sense you know they've got a domestic audience a bit like america used to have you know i mean america has that that big audience that could make its money at home and then sell stuff abroad uh, same with uh, China. They they can you know they they've got that domestic audience uh, as a big financial basis. Uh, they've developed their own tech, uh, as we all know. You know they put up the firewall, which many people was thought was about censorship, which it is to some extent, but it's actually also about protecting its own industries while it developed them. And now it's come back with, you know the the various different platforms that it's got that rival Facebook and WhatsApp and, you know, it's got WeChat and those various things. Uh, it's got its online shopping, obviously with Alibaba. So they've got their own kind of media, digital media, a media in, in ecosystem. Uh, and within that, they really try to develop the whole kind of content industry, cultural industry, as they called it. 
and it, it is organized differently it's uh, but they've kind of managed to to work it they've linked some of the big state comp- companies with this kind of small uh, or, or kind of a swarm of smaller scale companies that it organizes um but what they what they've done basically is is sat back and analyzed it you know how does this industry work where can we intervene? You know, where are the value chains? Where are the gaps? Where, where can we invest? Those kind of things, which is exactly what South Korea did. Um, whereas when you get to a place like Australia, they most creative industry strategies is two and a half people in a room with a filing cabinet. You know, there are absolutely no resources given to it. You know, I mean, and I, I say Creative Victoria is at the head of, of, um, of this. You know, they've really bought into it. But uh, that by calling it Creative Victoria, but I mean their strategy is mainly about uh, the big, you know, the, it's mainly about um, the the kind of arts and performing arts and visual arts, you know, the big kind of state over state institutions, uh, and you know, a good support for the music industry beginning to get into that. Some for screen, the different concepts of screen, but it's not really a, a concerted industry strategy. As, uh, as in China or South Korea, which might be good. Um, you know, there are good arguments to say, well, why should it be reduced to an industry strategy? But if you are going to call it an industry strategy, do it. Um, and, and I think uh, Australia's really just been waving creativity around and a few incubators here and a bit of hotspots there. But uh, if, if you want a real industry strategy, you know, you, you can look to other places. That's Justin O'Connor from the University of South Australia. We continue our discussion about how Australia punches above its weight on a global scale as far as creative industries on tomorrow's Informer Daily. Tune in. That's all for us today. I'd like to thank Dee Mason, Emily Johnson, Nicholas Kamenu-Sandry, Rachel Tyler-Jones, and everyone at the Community Radio Network. Thanks so much for your support. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts. We'll be back tomorrow. Mahalo. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.